Yeah. Oh, yes. Hello to my ACB okay. family. This Recording is David Treasurer. I am asking your support for my re-election. Please put me on the team that's working for a brighter future for ACB. I look forward to meeting you all at the Candidates Forum. Today, ACB has completed the launch of a new Alexa skill called ACB Media that will now replace the previous ACB Alexa skills. To access the new skill from your Alexa-enabled device, first enable the skill by saying Alexa, enable ACB Media, and launch the skill by saying Alexa, open ACB Media, and then select the stream of your choice. For the full list of stream names, please visit https colon slash slash www.acbmedia.org slash home slash streams. Opinions expressed on ACB Radio are those of the respective program contributors and do not necessarily reflect views held by the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Good morning, everyone, or afternoon, depending on where you live. This is Christy Crespin facilitating the ACB History Book Discussion Group. And today is July 13th, and we are in the middle of Chapter 2 and basically completing Chapter 2 today which is about a two and a half hour read on Bard. And this chapter is packed with so much that it's just incredible. So what I'd like to do is ask our host, Penny Valdivinos, to give us the instructions on how to mute and unmute and be mindful that we are streaming today. Thank you, Penny, and thank you, Larry, for streaming. To uh, all of these are toggles. So from your PC, it's Alt-A to mute. From the Mac, it's Command-Shift-A. From the app, it's in the lower left-hand corner. On the phone, it's star six. And to uh, raise your hand on the PC, it's Alt-Y. On the Mac, it's option Y. And on the app, it's in the more button in the bottom right-hand corner. All right. Thank you very much. And on the phone, it's star six. Sorry. Oh, star nine. Star nine. That's okay. That's okay. Mm -hmm. So I guess what I'd like to do is to start off by asking people. um, We ended last week at... Um, 1950. So that's where we're kind of beginning today. And we'll gloss through things. I really highly recommend that people read because there just is so much. Uh, But I'd like to find out what were your takeaways, impressions uh, thus far from 1940 to 1950, the first decade of the NFB. Anyone have any? Raise your hand. Olivia has her hand raised. You Olivia? may unmute and speak. Hi, Christy. And it's oh. Olivia. 
<laughs> it's Livia. Yep. Livia. We're going to Livy. Um, well, one thing I really noticed was Tim Brooke was a bulldog, and he just he just kept going on and on and on and on and on, you know, fighting the battle and and making sure that things got got started and uh you know that uh, our voices would be heard and he just he did not give up and that tenacity and um veracity is um i think a layover in some of us who were there first and then joined AB- ACB uh later mm-hmm. thank you Livy anyone else Larry has his hand raised. Larry? It's interesting that, that during this time period, the leaders seemed to know what they wanted because they talked about it. They sent letters, big, long letters. Amazing. People wrote that much back then, but they did because they didn't have access to some of the technology, obviously, that we have. But it wasn't always easy getting what they wanted done. And there were fires that had to be put out, and sometimes something would happen and they'd have to react. So even though they had a vision as to what they wanted, there were still growing pains that kept going. And and eventually it seemed to get better, especially when they had a little more money at their disposal, because some of the things they wanted to have happen actually happened with regard to greeting cards and other things, and that helped. But, But there was a little push and tug still going on during the first 10 years. Thank you. Anyone else? Mary Beth. Ah, Mary Beth. I was I was struck by the um, well by two things actually by the um, disparity in you know the, the uh, there were so many people well a number of people anyway that had you know really seemed to have really good good jobs and then of course there was the 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 huge number sort of on the bottom but also the people that how much time people spent um and it goes along a little bit with what larry was saying how much time these people spent not only writing letters but traveling you know taking away from their own employment to go and travel and and do stuff and and talk with people um that you know how how committed these people were to to moving this forward and to 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 helping the people that were maybe not in the same place especially financially that that they were thank you yes thank you very much and david 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 maybe um, i i got the impression that they were beginning to discuss and outline the NFB philosophy that we all, I think, have been exposed to at one time or another. And I think there were discussions about what blindness meant, what were the implications of blindness, how it affected people. And I think there was the beginning of discussions around (laughs) that, because that would influence the way in which the Federation would act in, in general. And I think that, um, Tenbrook, you know, began to try to espouse the idea that blindness was not all that disabling if you put your mind to it. And so that's why they were so uh, willing uh, to to take such action to demand that, you know, the more assistance blind people got, 
to be able to get jobs and hold their own society, it wouldn't be that much of a disability. Yes, very, very, very nice. Nicely said, David. Um, I will give a disclaimer. I have my daughter's schnauzers, and you just heard Kevin, if you heard it. So I'm sorry, they're in another room. Um, all right, anyone else? There's no hand raised. No hand. All right. So in 1950, where was the NFB convention held? And what were some of the salient events of that convention? There are no hands. Okay, um, so um, during that convention, um, during, during that convention, um, um, I guess I, I put OSS, oh no. Um, Ross Cohen um, had died, and, you know, he was uh, Ross M. Cohen, and he was a leader. The convention, the convention was held in uh, Chicago, and of particular note was um, mentioned the tireless work of uh, the organization of White Cane Week. That's when this began in 1950. Um, an indispensable source of fundraising. So that's still the signature White Cane fundraising effort. Um, and most remarkable was quote, the impressive set of resolutions, end quote, passed at the 1950 convention, which emphasized how well um, Archibald, Tenbrook, um, Archibald and, and Tenbrook uh, had worked together. Um, again, um, under good things that happened, um, public law, 81-734, based on efforts of all agencies and organizations representing the blind, was approved um, on August 28, 1950, excluding the first $50 of earnings from uh, the Social Security or the, the blind aid benefits um, for reductions in earnings. The NFB went farther and asked that half of all other earnings above the $50 reduction um, also be um, disregarded. Um, in the income calculated. Because of the disagreements between agencies for the blind and the NFB regarding 
Uh, the second part of the proposal, uh, Altmeyer told the NFB that they could take the $50 exemption or walk out with nothing. So Altmeyer was the agency person. Another resolution adopted July 10th. Um, of 1950 addressed the amendments uh, to the Randolph Shepard Act to increase the fairness of its rules. NFB believed its overriding task was to educate members um, In, of Congress. Um, any comments on that? No any, one. Any, anybody Randolph she Shepard Act followers here? Um, Christy, this is Bernice. Okay. So, so you need to raise your hand, Bernice. Oh, Alt Y. She's. I think she's on a phone. She's on the phone. So it's. Yeah. It's. I mean, I'm sorry, Star. Star six. Star, star nine. Star nine to raise your hand. I oh, pressed star nine. Okay, you got it. Okay. 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 Go ahead. Uh, I, I just wanted to make a comment about. About the um, um, uh, uh, I'm sorry, two three oh, things, nice. but at one time, uh, <laughs> I w I wanted to make a comment about um, the Randolph Shepard Act. You know that was done by um, um, uh, it was done in 1932. Right, but this in 1950 was. Mm -hmm. uh, dealing with more changes to it, yeah, to make it and, fa more fair. And and I just want to share something personal with the group that in 1980, when I went back to attend the President's Committee on Employment of People with Disabilities in May of um, of 1980, uh, <clears throat> during the break, Durward called out to me, and you know he had that soft southern voice from Oklahoma he said Bernice come over here so I walked 10 feet behind me to him and there was a man taller than he he was 6'2 the guy was taller than that and he was reaching out to shake my hand and Durward said Bernice I want you to meet U.S. Senator Jennings Randolph that's awesome thank you yeah. It, it, it was, I can't begin to tell you, all I could say to him was, uh, I was so glad to meet him and that I pre appreciated what he had done to help blind people with their um, uh, employment. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Anybody else comments? No other hands raised. Okay. Um, so there, there was an argument between 
uh, Tenbrook and Bob Fletcher of Michigan. Um, it is unknown if other rifts were occurring because Tenbrook's papers were not able to be accessed at this time. So Matson 1990 um, works include virtually all of the um, virtually exclude virtually all of the dissenters um, information and also reprinted only the quote revolutionist version of events without comment. There had already been a split resulting in two separate state groups, the Michigan Council and the Michigan Federation. In October of 1950, letters were exchanged between NFB Second Vice President Alan Larson and George Card, Tenbrook and others, that criticized George Card's attendance at the meeting of Michigan Council of the Blind as a result of his attendance in personal, in a personal capacity um, to listen to and advise the group. In November of 1950, Tenbrook wrote that Card should be commended for trying to work to unite the blind. Due to a change in date, Card was not able to attend. After reading Tenbrook's comment that, quote, we must keep our eyes upon the main cause and unitedly work towards it without permitting ourselves to be distracted by matters that are not really of any great importance. This caused Bob Fletcher to blow up and he wrote uh, a lengthy angry letters to both Card and Tenbrook. He basically told Card to mind his own business and stay out of affairs of others and wrote to Tenbrook that his letter to Betty Gardner from the Michigan Federation that was, quote, ridiculous to point to the point of being accusing, in quotes, because it indicated that the Michigan Federation should commend Card for stepping in. The larger issue was the handling of money in Michigan. Fletcher indicated that 80% of the funds received by the NFB um, could just as well have been kept by 
the Michigan Federation of the Blind treasurer. He uh, also stated that the Michigan Federation of the Blind could raise more money without the NFB's influence and having to split the funds 50-50. He mentioned that some quotes in the splinter group, in quotes, believe, quote, that NFB does not use its money in a constructive manner, in quotes. Some people believed that the NFB was actually collecting money that would push legislation aimed at raising taxes, quotes, thus you stick the people twice, in quotes. Fletcher had felt, oops, Donald, you are screen sharing. Um, um, he had felt uh, snubbed at the conventions, and um, this is Fletcher, and he indicated frustration that, quotes, we like we dislike being taken for granted to the extent our support is regarded as a sign of weakness. This was one example of the kinds of uh, problems that the NFB was occurring at this time uh, from interests that were not coinciding with national interests. Any comments? No hands raised. No hands. Okay. Oh, wait a minute. We got a hand. Okay. Mary Beth. Okay. Mary Beth. This comment is a little bit unrelated. And if you, if you uh, covered this last week, you have my heartfelt apologies. Um, but one of the things that surprised me through this whole chapter two was um, the, um, con- them continuing to sort of cling to this, that, card program you know direct mail right they sent these card things back and forth and it from the very beginning you know some people were saying this is this opens us up to potential illegality and all this and 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 then as as i kept reading through chapter two it it didn't seem like it maybe made all that money much money anyway and it, it was it was surprising to me you know that they they didn't work harder to branch out into some other thing. That was my, my first comment. My second comment is that it appeared to me, at least in part of this chapter, that um, the affiliates did not pay dues or anything, that they just, I don't, I'm not exactly sure, but I know there was some comment in there and um, about, well, if we're going to have to raise more money, we're going to have to start charging dues in the, in the affiliates. And I, I thought that was sort of, sort of interesting because obviously you know we we you know i didn't start out with the nfb and we've all grown up with paying dues here so yeah um so i guess it was kind of a question in the comment because it, it just seemed it seemed like they were clinging to this this 
dead horse, you know, mail program that was opening up to all sorts of controversy. And it was a little surprising to me. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Anybody else? Thank you. No other hands. So during this time, what was the basic philosophy at the end of the first decade? At the end of the the uh, first decade, um, it it was in regard to Newell Perry and the three fundamental outlooks. Anybody? No question. No hands no? raised. Blindness is basically it. Number one, blindness is basically unimportant. And the affairs uh, in the affairs of life. So blindness is basically unimportant in the affairs of life. It may be a physical nuisance a topic of unembarrassed conversation, a subject of loud questions by small children in the street as you pass, but not something which shapes one's nature, which determines his career, which affects his usefulness or happiness. Debbie Green has her hand raised. Okay, uh, let me go ahead and finish this and then I'll take comments. Okay, mm-hmm. footnoted, former Braille Forum editor Nolan Crabb in mm-hmm. an interview from April 1995 um, emphatically stated that, quote, it's fallacious, period. Blindness affects every element of your life, what you do, how you raise your children, where you work, in quotes. The blindness as, quotes, only a nuisance syndrome is especially problematic as a generalization because it reduces the unique individual and his or her experience to a generic sameness, in quotes. So that was number one. Number two, a basic assumption that sighted people generally have boundless goodwill towards the blind and an utterly false conception of the consequences of blindness. It is their misconception about its uh, nature which creates the social and economic handicap of blindness. And number three, lastly, blind people should accept public activity as a rule of life, a sense of responsibility to 
ex, uh, to exert effort to improve the lot of others, in quotes. The third attitude, a footnoted, the third attitude is undoubtedly the source of much of admiration that is generally felt toward people such as Helen Keller, Newell Perry, and Jacobus Tenbrook. Okay, so my question. Um, I'll go ahead and, and uh, make your comments, please, on this. And Debbie Green, you were... Oh, the audio now unmuted. And I know we're halfway through. Here. Um, now lowered. I I I hope that you talk about it a little bit more because I'm not sure I understand those three differences. I, I certainly understand the first one that blindness is just a nuisance, um, and I think that is that kind of just denies you know the the challenge that being blind is. Um, um, but but I'm not sure I understand two and three. Do you think would you talk about those a little bit more? Well, let's see what other people have to say. Okay, great. Thank you, Debbie. Sure. Bernice has her hand raised. Okay, Bernice. Star six, Bernice, to unmute. I'm sorry. I, I was interrupted and I didn't hear who the quotes were from that Nolan wrote. Those were his quotes. Nolan's quotes? Yes, from the Braille form. Mm. I, I thought you were reading something that he wrote that from somebody else. <laughs> Sorry. No, no. He, he was refuting... Yeah, what? Yeah, yeah. I knew Nolan better than that. Okay, that's what can I say? <clears throat> um, what about the other two tenets of this model, this three pronged model? No hands raised. No hands. Mm-mm. Okay, I think it's a pretty hard line. Oh, wait um, a minute. Livy raised her hand. Okay. Livy? Livy, you need to unmute. Um, Christy, my computer died in. Okay. I, okay. So what were, the uh, la- no. what were the second two, the other two? So uh, there a lot, a lot to go through so basically um 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 larry has his hand raised okay a basic assumption that sighted people generally have boundless goodwill towards the blind and an utterly false conception of the consequences of blindness it is their misconception about its nature which creates the social and economic handicap of blindness. That's number two. And number three, 
blind people should accept public activity as a rule of life, a sense of uh, responsibility to exert effort to improve the lot of others. So those are the two. Larry? I, I think that um, gee, what, it would be nice if if we as blind people had these if, 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 if we as blind people had this positiveness about how the majority of sighted people feel about blindness but I still think in large part that a lot of sighted people don't know and wouldn't know what to say if they encountered a blind person so part of it's education etc but I think it's a pretty hard line in which they he basically says this is the way it is and I believe that blindness is just a nuisance. Uh, it, it's more than that based on sighted people's conceptions and also blind people's conceptions as to how yeah. they feel about how they interact with sighted people. I mean, I try and do whatever I can based on my philosophical knowledge about trying to educate my friends and other blind people. And in many cases, I can. In other cases... I can be in a room with some sighted people, and if I don't know them and I don't know they're there, they're not going to come up to me. Mm-hmm. Friends will, because friends mm-hmm. generally know me, and I basically know them, and I'm happy to go up to people and talk. But some won't have anything to do with me because I am different. Mm-hmm. So I I don't think you can categorize, in all cases, mm-hmm. some of the things that he basically mentioned, because I don't think they're going to always be true in every situation. Oh, why? Hand now raised. Mm-hmm. Oh, who raised their hand? Uh, it wasn't well, me. Mine's going down. No, Mary Beth has her hand raised, and so does Debbie Green. Okay. Um, Mary Beth? I think that, that, that Larry's right, that that's basically the problem with this, those three things. I mean, certainly, you know, sometimes blindness is just a nuisance. Sometimes it's a whole lot more. Um, sometimes... Sighted people um, have goodwill for blind people, and sometimes they don't. Um, I, I think that you know certainly the 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 third thing about the necessity for you know blind people to to exert um, you know response or to assume responsibility and to exert pressure when necessary in society. I mean that basically applies to all people. Um, I understand why they would put it there, but I, I agree with Larry though. There's a lot of it is too sort of sort of broad brush that it's it because not all blind people are the same, uh, not all sighted people are the same, and not all situations are the same. And you know, it, therefore, you know, to make a blanket statement about about some of these things just doesn't really doesn't really work. In all, in all situations. Thank you. Thank you. Debbie? Olga. I'm sorry, I'm trying to unmute here. You're unmuted. Debbie? She, she muted herself. You muted yourself again. Olga. There, yeah. you're in. You're okay. Okay, thank you so much. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's exactly right, what, what we just Audio said. It's it's not uh it's 
it's way too it's way too general too much of a generalization to to kind of categorize in those three categories because um some in some situations all three of those are true and for some individuals all three of those might be true depending on the circumstance um and, and so maybe it's just a matter of 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 having a balance and knowing knowing that all of that is true to one degree or another and keeping it in balance. Yes. Yes. So I'm going to skip over um, some discussion of um, basically um, things that um, Perry taught his, Newell Perry taught, quote, his boys, in quotes, um, and the and kind of beliefs of Tinbrook. But how do you feel about the contents of the above, well, the above statement, let me tell you statements, Tenbrook's statement. Um, Tenbrook, uh, Perry believed that uh, Blind people should be fully integrated into community. Tinbrook made a statement that idleness, the sense of always being on the warming bench in the game of life, that's what he believed idleness was. And he believed that many public assistance projects, including Social Security, made wards of blind people rather than giving them freedom. He believed that equality meant equality of opportunity, including the right of the blind to, quotes, compete for a means of livelihood and the right to develop potentialities and the right to share in the fruits of society. He warned, warned that, quotes, a disintegration of personality develops when one has no meaningful occupation. Skills atrophy. Social isolation becomes painful. Blind people ask no special favors, but only to be given a chance if they have the training, the qualifications, and the aptitude for the work at hand. Um, so... How do you feel about the contents of the above statement made by Tenbrook and the um, 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 well, now I got to read the footnote and the footnote I wasn't going to um. Uh, sorry. 
Okay. Um, okay, the footnote by McWilliams includes their problem, in a sense, has been to win the democratic right of self-determination against the tyranny of sympathy and and sentimentality. That's basically the crux of it. So how do you feel about that? What, what do you think about those statements? Hold hmm. oh, hand now raised. Debbie Green. And you're already unmuted, Debbie. Hold up. Are we no. good? Me? Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, Wait, is this Debbie? Wait, no, oh, that's, I'm sorry. that's I'm sorry. Libby. That's Libby. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Debbie. Okay, I'm, I'm fine. I don't mind waiting. Um, no, no, go ahead. You were okay. first. I think the statements that he made there are absolutely true. Yes. They are true not just for blind people, but for people in general. That that we, if we... in a human being are going to thrive. We've got to have a sense of purpose and, and that can play out in having a career or just having a purpose in life and, and to have, and have that sense of self-worth. And I, and I agree that we, we are not asking for anything. We're not asking for a handout. We're not asking for anything special. We're simply just asking for equal. Let's let's just level the playing field here, you know, so so that I have the same opportunity that everybody else does. And that may mean that there is going to have to be some accommodation because I'm blind, but I'm really not asking for anything special. And, and that's uh, I think that's what he's saying. And I agree. OK, thank you. And Livy, I'll even go farther than that. Um, I have. We have a friend who has CP, uh, was in our wedding, and he made a statement years and years ago I have never forgotten. And, I've, and he said that SSI and basically was governmental slavery. Mm. And I think that is very true in the fact that every time I used to have to go to my re- yearly review, I was scared spitless. Because I was afraid that I was going to either say the wrong thing or, you know, whatever. And uh, that was one reason why I was so glad when I finally got off of SSI at the time, uh, when my folks died, that I just, I didn't have to deal with that anymore. Yeah. You know, Mm -hmm. and uh, it's just, in that regard, it's awful. And when you think about it, you know, the, the piddly 900 and some odd bucks we get a month compared to our cost of living and how, what it is to really live and do is ridiculous. There's, you know, the other one aspect of that is, is that it's almost a demeaning. Yes. Yeah, it, it is. Yes. Mm-hmm. Many times it's based, it's saying you're not qualified. You don't have the skills. You don't have the ability. You don't have the value to, to earn a living or to make a meaningful contribution that's worth being paid for. Therefore, 
why don't you just go over there and sit down and shut up and we'll give you money. Mm-hmm. That, that yeah. is, that's degrading. And I think that's what we, yeah. Larry has his hand raised. Larry. Interesting. I, you ladies have both made what I was about to say much easier to say over the last three to four minutes. Cause I, there was a, a bit of time when I tried because I wanted to be involved in the community and I wanted to be involved as a blind person to help educate and etc. Friends of mine who were sighted who didn't know what it was like to be a blind person. And so the best way to do that for me was to get involved, get a job after college and, and stay active in the community and always stay busy. Uh, and I think what you're saying is basically true. I have friends that I know of uh, and I was one of those as well who couldn't wait to f- eventually find a job. It took me a long time, but I couldn't wait to find a job just to get off of SSI. Not only because of the amount that being paid, it was some, but it wasn't enough for me to live on my own, not without some help. But later on, I also began to notice when we had other issues, for instance, most recently the pandemic, a lot of my friends who were let go and were not working were happy to stay home and pick up whatever whatever unemployment would give them rather than going back to work and and I know I couldn't wait to continue working so that that wouldn't happen to me I, I just feel that when you're working you're productive you're doing what you can you're actually associating with other people who may be sighted and not blind as well and you can help uh, get the feelings about what it's like to be a blind person into a sighted world. And I think that communication is always helpful. Yes. Thank you, Larry. And so I'd also like to, during this last uh, 15 minutes or so, 14 minutes, um, get into a little bit of the discussion of, so is blindness a nuisance? Um, something that just, you know, something you have and it, it shouldn't play much in the part of your life or does it affect every single aspect of your life? Now we'll have a nice little short discussion. So keep your comments brief, please. Larry has his hand raised. I think blind, blindness can be a nuisance. It depends on the people involved, depends on the situation. For me, it's sometimes it's a pain. It's not a nuisance, but sometimes the reactions of the people that I deal with make it a nuisance. And mm-hmm. so that's where an education is involved, where you you talk with people and they you you do things to let them watch you in action, and then they realize that blindness, I'm sure, is a pain. And it, it's funny when I, I I'm a 48 year barber shopper. This is going to be fairly quick, I think. Barber shopper as in- I sing. Yeah. So 48 years of that. And I remember going flying somewhere with friends who were also barber shoppers. And, and I love to watch people and friends of mine love to watch people and tell me what was happening when a blind person got on a plane. And it's amazing how many blind, how many sighted people wanted to do things for me. And I said, why did they want to do this for me? What is it that makes them want to reach out and grab me or steer me in this direction? This is when I'm much younger. And one of my sighted friends who was incredibly sharp said, I think it has to do with the fact that they can't envision them doing mm-hmm. what you're doing. And so they figure, if I can't do it as a sighted person, how can he do it as a blind person? Mm-hmm. And I always remember that because I think in many cases that's so true. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Larry. That's a great point. 
Yeah. Anyone else? No hands raised. No hands. <laughs> Gee, does that mean I can go no. another five minutes? Uh, yeah. No, Liv- <laughs> Livy ha- has okay, already. Livy. You can transport, Larry. I like that. <laughs> okay. Um, I I I agree with what you're saying, Larry. Um, believe me, you know we all have our good days and our bad days. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you know the one thing that just bugs the spit out of me is the fact that I can't drive. I have to use Handy Ride or you know paratransit or whatever or ride. I don't use the bus as much anymore. Uh, but it's just frustrating because you think, oh well, you've got this and it'll you know take you straight to where you need to go. Uh-uh. You know, it depends on how long you got to wait. And, you know, you could spend half your day waiting around for a pair of transit to get from point A to point B to do whatever, you know, whether you've got a doctor's appointment, you're going shopping or going to the grocery store, whatever. And it's just, I get so frustrated sometimes. And uh, anyway, but that that's one thing that really bothers me. And uh, But yet, too, on the other hand, if we hadn't learned the skills of mobility and the skills of orientation and other skills that we have, where would we be? We wouldn't be anywhere. We'd be stuck in our homes, sitting at home, you know. Uh, and like and living, many day. people still are. Oh, I know. And I, I can relate because I haven't been out very much lately. And because of the heat and whatever, and it's just frustrating. We have 10 minutes left and two hands raised. Right. Okay. So thank you, Livy. Who's next? Mary Beth. Mary Beth. You're, you're good. We hear you. Uh-huh. So much of, um, you know, whether or not blindness is a nuisance or um, all that depends on where you are and what's happening. You know, who's around. Um, you know, that, that, and one thing I was surprised that they did not mention in this, at least so far in this book, um, is the whole, um, concept, which I don't actually agree with, but the whole concept from, um, you know, Father Carroll's book about if someone becomes blind, they become like a whole new person, um, that, that, you know, the characteristics of somebody who's blind or you know, just, I mean, they're a person first and blind second. I mean, but that, that so much depends on, on, you know, as Larry was saying, where you are, um, what you have to do, um, not just uh, logistically, you know, blindness is certainly a logistical inconvenience. Um, but sometimes the harder things are, are the, you know, the reactions of people or the, um, the, the barriers that that for instance you know like um oh different people's decisions will will put like for instance i have a a, a crossing where where i live it's a four lane street it's very it's very busy and it has an audible but a pedestrian signal an accessible pedestrian signal on it one one button is right by the corner which is fine the other button is like 15 feet away. Oh, gosh. Um, so it's, 
<laughs> it's kind of like one of those Saturday Night Live things where you like run to the yeah. button, run to the corner, yeah. and run across. And you know that that has not so much to do with blindness as just something that was stupidly put in. Yeah. Thank. Thank you. And next. Next, wait a second. I lost it. It is David. 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 Um, yeah, I think that most people tend to regard sight as the most important sense, whether that's true or not. And so when they look at us, they think, oh, my God, how could you do anything? And I'll never forget going to a job interview at a uh, radio network <laughs> and being told, my God, you know, your your material, the the report, the uh, uh the reports that you have um, submitted, the, the demos of your work are just fantastic. Who helped you? Yeah. And I said, nobody. And they said, and this one guy who's very nice, he said, well, that I, I'm sorry, I can't believe that. If I couldn't see, I wouldn't be able to do that work. You had to have somebody help you. And he would not <laughs> believe me. And I knew right then that I would never get that job, no matter what I said or did. And, uh, you know, then he he said, "Well, how would you get around? How do you get around?" And I said, "I take the bus. Sometimes I take cabs." And he said, "Well, you can't do that because we have this was before the era of you know yeah. uh, satellites and Skype and all that. So you know every reporter has a, a two way radio and they they have to drive a van and you can't do that. I mean, and I said, "Well, I would take a two way radio and I would use it in the cab and you would pay me per mile as you would everybody else." And he was just so determined that I would not be able to do the job because he wouldn't be able to do it if he if he couldn't see. So I think there is where the nuisance, more than a nuisance, comes in. Mm-hmm. That when people deliberately insist that we can't do it and refuse to accept it. I had a friend who built houses. And he was totally blind. And I had another friend, a very good-sighted friend, who said, no, your friend Ben could never do shoot sheet rocking. I don't believe it. it. He can't do it. And I say, well, he's done it. And, you know, it, 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 it's this kind of attitude, I think, that can be very infuriating, infuriating and, and keep us down and out. Thank you. Anyone else? We just have a couple of minutes left. There's no other hands, and we have six minutes. Okay, I'm going to share my opinion. <laughs> Yay. Yay. So, and Penny, you're welcome, too. Um, So, I want to say that the things that frustrated me the most about being blind, first of all, I I believe that my blindness affects who I am, just like my height affects who I am, my voice, my my presentation, my -hmm. blindness is a part of me. Is it a nuisance? Sometimes, but what's more the nuisance and the sadness to me is that it's not an automatic integration like Mm -hmm. Newell Perry wanted. It's very difficult uh, integrating into society fully when there are so many things that hold us back Mm -hmm. by virtue of retrofitting instead of inclusion from the very beginning, Um, such as um, making sure that font sizes are the norm 
um, rather than picking some weird font size for low vision people. Um, I know it's really difficult, but with the state of California, um, where I worked, they chose something like Georgia 12 point font. And I'm like, no, it's supposed to be um, Arial or some kind of a plain font like that. And so then they appease us by doing little tiny things. And we think that they're making changes. But when we really look at the situation and the system, no, no changes are being made to assist us. So those are the things that, um, that color my view um, as well as uh, we talk about um, diversity and we talk about inclusion. In the world of the United States, politics, etc., people with disabilities and especially blindness are so low on the spectrum that we don't even measure a, a radioact- radioactive beep. Uh, we ain't so much. David, what? Sorry. Well, I was just thinking that during the pandemic, it, I, I would listen and read various articles or listen to videos um, from the left, the right, the center. It didn't matter what political arena. And we were always ignored. They'd mention yeah. almost everybody else except yep. people with disabilities. Yeah. yeah. Even in my state trainings with diversity, people with disabilities were not included. <laughs> Yeah. When I was on disabilities and we would do the disability, uh, the uh, things where we had to say, you know, this is everybody's included in the training and stuff. I was the one that couldn't see, but yet everything was for sighted. They never made accommodations for me mm-hmm. and all my county uh, training. They never made anything. Mm-hmm. I did it mm-hmm. despite despite them. Whenever people tell me I can't do something, I have to prove it's a thing I was brought up with that I could. Yeah. Yeah. My my mother told me I was always gonna have to be twice as good at doing things as anyone else because of who I am. And you know, that's affected my whole personality. And uh you know, I can just imagine, you know, we could we could go on with this discussion. And we and, have one hand raised. And uh, so this is going to be our last comment because and it is time We have to leave to, and I have to disconnect yeah. in about 40 seconds. Yep. Okay. Okay, so I can't take another comment. Right. I'd like right. to thank all of you. Again, this is July 13th. We will cover Chapter 3 beginning July 27th. Hope to bring you back. And read People of Vision, A History of the American Council of the Blind. Thank you, Penny. Thank you, Larry. And blessings to you all. See you next time.